Well, this uh, past week, our nation mourned the loss of former President George Herbert Walker Bush with a national day of mourning that took place on Wednesday. And that, that national experience of mourning echoes um, some other experiences of mourning, other losses that have occurred closer to home, including the deaths of, of two wonderful women who were both members of Stonebridge Community Church, Sally Bush and Pauline Benz, who just died in the past few weeks. And um, I know that, that there have been other losses in, um, in the lives of people who are, are members of Stonebridge uh, as well. And all this, while the larger community of which we're a part, continues to, to deal with uh, kind of the emotional aftermath of the borderline shootings and the, the Woolsey fire. Now, Christmas has been described as the most wonderful time of the year. But for anyone who has suffered a significant loss, the death of a spouse or a child, a parent, a grandparent, a close friend or family member. For anyone who has gone through a breakup, a separation, or a divorce. For anyone who's lost a, a job or who has uh, come to realize that a dream that they have had uh, isn't going to bear fruit. Uh, for folks in that situation, Christmas can, can just feel like it's someone else's celebration. It's not the most wonderful time of the year. It's one of the most painful times of the year. And they just have to kind of gird themselves and, and power through it. I remember uh, Christmas, Christmas break, my sophomore year in college. That year, uh, my parents were divorced. And on the day that my parents' divorce was finalized, my brother Mark was out riding his bike, was struck by a car, and killed. And I remember coming home from Christmas that year to find that there was no sign of Christmas whatsoever in our home. There were, was no tree, no lights, no decorations. There were unopened Christmas cards. But otherwise, it just looked like any other day. So I borrowed a car, and I grabbed my brother Jack, and we drove to a Christmas tree lot to pick out a tree, which we brought home and did our best as two teenage boys to decorate. Um, I, one of the things I remember as, uh, as we were either driving there or back, it could have been both because it was so popular at the time, um, I remember it was when... Um, Don McLean's song, American Pie, was really popular. And um, just remember, you know, hearing those words um, about the day the music died. That was Christmas that year. It, you know, while, while most Christmas songs are, uh, are happy, while most Christmas carols are upbeat, uh, you know, joy to the world and all that. There are few, there are few that, that capture what Christmas is like for people who are grieving. Uh, Billy Hayes and, and Jay Johnson wrote a song famously recorded by Elvis Presley. You probably know it, and you, uh, you can just join in. Ah, uh, uh, ha, ever, uh, uh, blue. 
Christmas without you. Thank you. I'll be so blue thinking about you. Decorations of red on a green Christmas tree won't be the same, dear. Thank you very much. If you're not here with me, and when those blue snowflakes are falling, that's when those blue memories start calling. You'll be doing all right with your Christmas so white, but I'll have a blue, 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 blue Christmas. Okay, let's all join in. All right. Thank you. Thank you very much. A standing O. That's awesome. Thank you. But wait, there's more. Uh, some of you guys may remember Hugh, Hugh Martin wrote a song for 1944 uh, film called Meet Me in St. Louis. Meet Me in St. Louis starred uh, Judy Garland. And it was a story about a family that's going to be moving from St. Louis to, to New York. They're going to have to say goodbye to, to everybody and, and all this kind of stuff. Judy Garland actually asked Hugh Martin to rewrite the lyrics of Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas because the original lyrics were so depressing. This is how it, it originally went. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. It may be your last. <laughs> Next year, we may all be living in the past. If that were not bad enough, the bridge said, faithful friends who were dear to us, will be near to us no more. She said, rewrite it. And of course, of course he did. Now, um, one of the things you may notice is that the way that song is performed today is not the way Judy Garland performs it in Meet Me in St. Louis, because Frank Sinatra also recorded the song, and he thought it was too depressing the way it was. The original lyric, which you can hear in Meet Me in St. Louis, Judy Garland sings, Someday soon we all will be together if the fates allow. Until then, we'll have to muddle through somehow. <laughs> it's not how, how we sing it now. Uh, it was changed for Frank Sinatra. And instead, it says, uh, someday soon, we all will be together if the fates allow. Hang a shining star upon the highest bough and have yourself a merry little Christmas now. But the original song was really poignant and actually kind of painful. Now, it is not my intention uh, today to argue that we adopt a Tim Burton version of Christmas. <laughs> Uh, this message is not to be macabre, but, but I do want to, to point out, I want to acknowledge a really important point, and it's this, and, and we really need to understand this. People grieve at Christmas time. People grieve 
at Christmas time. Albert uh, Muller, a theologian, uh, rightly notes in, in an article that he wrote that the church is filled with those who, while not grieving as others, because the Apostle Paul says we don't grieve as others who have no hope. The church is filled with those who, while not grieving as others grieve, bear grief as Christians. Christians who miss their loved ones, who cherish their memories, and who wonder at times how to think of such grief at, at Christmas time. People grieve at Christmas. And if you're grieving this Christmas, one of the things I, I want you to know is it's normal. And it's okay. It's actually a good thing. We need to give ourselves permission to grieve. And for those of us who may not be grieving ourselves during Christmas time, we need to be there for those who do mourn during this season. To not try to get them to snap out of it, but to acknowledge their loss and to stand by them and, and to be with them during this season that is filled with so many memories. Um, in two weeks, as, as we always do the weekend before uh, Christmas, we're going to be uh, celebrating, marking that fourth uh, weekend in Advent by celebrating um, lessons, a festival of nine lessons and carols. And every year it starts with uh, something called the bidding prayer. It's a prayer that's offered to God the Father in the name of, of Jesus. And it talks a lot of, about Jesus. And it includes these words. And because this of all things would rejoice his heart, Jesus' heart. Let us remember in his name the poor and the helpless, the cold and the hungry, the oppressed, the sick, and those that mourn. And we want to remember them because people grieve at Christmas time. In fact, my, my original purpose um, in this message was to acknowledge the, the fact, the truth, that Peg and I are grieving, as some of you may be grieving, that this will be our last Christmas with me as your pastor. People grieve at Christmas time. Now, that really shouldn't surprise us because it has always been so from the very first Christmas. In fact, grief is just woven throughout the biblical story and narrative of, of Christmas. It's one of those things that, that we may not notice, and, and it's fascinating that, you know, in churches, year after year after year, the, the great texts that are lifted up kind of edit out, you know, that part of the, the Christmas story. We may, we may not notice, we may not hear a lot about it at, at church, about this grief that we see in the Christmas story, but, but once we become aware of it, we see it everywhere in the narrative, it's incredibly affirming for those of us who feel sad at Christmas that our grief isn't just acknowledged, 
But in the Christmas story, it is accounted for. And it's actually addressed in the story of the birth of Jesus. Uh, most of, of the Christmas story, as, as we know it, the biblical Christmas story is found in Luke chapters 1 and 2 and Matthew's chapter 1 and 2. And in Luke chapter 1, Zechariah, Zechariah is the father of John the Baptist. And in a prayer that he offers up to God, uh, he, he says, the tender mercy of our God by which the rising, he talks about the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death. It's in the Christmas story. In Luke chapter 2, Simeon prophesies that the baby Jesus, he, he holds him in his arms and he prophesies that this baby Jesus is the Messiah, telling Mary, his mother, that this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel. And a sword will pierce through your soul also. That's allusion, of course, to Jesus' crucifixion which is to come. In Matthew chapter 2, the visit of the wise men. You know, we, usually we read this, this great account of the wise men and bringing the gold and myrrh and frankincense and, and so on, and we kind of stop there, but keep reading. And you'll discover that the visit of the wise men is followed by the slaughter of the holy innocents, the little boys of Bethlehem. Matthew writes, then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping, loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. Rachel's tomb is in Bethlehem, by the way. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. Well, those, those are passages just woven through, throughout this, this um, uh, Christmas narrative. But these passages in a minor key are so easy to look, overlook or to ignore, or to skip over. They're sort of like the, the thestrals that pull the coaches at Hogwarts. Because it is as if these verses are invisible to those who have never been touched by death. We don't see them. But for those who have known grief or who read the Bible with special attention and care, I think they bring an even greater depth and insight to the story of the birth of Christ. You know, that, that depth, that greater depth that we see in some of these uh, texts that are in a, a minor key are actually reflected in some, a few, of the quieter hymns and Christmas carols we sing this season. Uh, I mentioned earlier an Advent hymn that traces its roots back to the O Antiphons of the 8th century. It's actually a prayer, and it is in a minor key. O come, O come, Emmanuel, 
and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely, lowly exile here until the Son of God appear. Uh, there's a 16th century piece called the Coventry Carol. Uh, again, it's uh, a carol in a minor key, and it's about the holy innocents. Herod the king, in his raging, charged he hath this day his men of might in his own sight, all children young to slay. Then woe is me, poor child, for thee. Never mourn and say, for thy parting, nor say, nor sing, bye, bye. Lule, lule. It's interesting to me that um, Coventry Carol um, has that uh, place name, Coventry, which is uh, an ancient city in England uh, that was absolutely devastated uh, during the Second World War uh, by the German Blitz. Earlier, uh, during the, the praise set, uh, we sang a song that was uh, written by Edmund Sears. And it's one of those kind of songs. I don't know if you have these kind of songs yourself, but when you sing them, you just find yourself tearing up and can barely make it through them. I'm that way with In Christ Alone, and it came upon the midnight clear. That lyric that goes, in, And ye beneath life's crushing load, whose forms are bending low, who toil along the, the climbing way with painful steps and slow. This is somebody that's having a really hard time moving forward. And then the words, look now, for glad and golden hours come swiftly on the wing. Rest beside the weary road and hear the angels sing. The grief is woven throughout the Christmas story in Scripture. And it, I think it's woven throughout the Christmas story in Scripture for a reason. And the reason is this. The birth of Christ is a special gift for those who grieve. It's a gift that's especially for those who grieve. You know, one of the things that um, you've, you know me after all these years of ministry here, one of the things I most love about Scripture is uh, something that I call biblical realism. It doesn't try to paper over life's pain, and it, it doesn't try to make things simpler than they actually are. It presents life as it is and all of its difficulty and challenge and ambiguity. And in the midst of, of that biblical realism, it still proclaims the hope of the gospel. And that's one of the reasons why it, the Bible is so compelling. The Bible acknowledges the reality of, of grief. It doesn't paper over it. It acknowledges that even Christians grieve. 
although we may not grieve as others who have no hope, but the Bible acknowledges the reality of, of grief. It explains the cause of grief. And then it announces the good news that God has decisively addressed our grief by sending His only Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, to be born. And if you find yourself grieving this season, I believe that you are uniquely qualified to understand perhaps better than anyone else the deepest and the truest meaning of Christmas. In an, in an article on dealing with loss at, at Christmas, Charity Reddy writes, the whole point of Christmas is to remember Jesus. I, I spent, um, I'll get back to, to her saying in, in a minute, but I remember spending a Christmas in Japan, and it's fascinating be in um, a, a culture and in a context where Christmas is celebrated with no recognition of Jesus. He's just not part of it. So there are Santa Clauses, and there are Christmas sales, and there are packages and ribbons and colored lights and Christmas trees, but no Jesus. The whole point of Christmas is to remember Jesus. And as we remember Jesus and the story of Jesus and the, the how and the when and the, the where and the why of Jesus, we remember the tragedy of sin entering into God's perfect world. And, and we will retrace all of this in our lessons and carols. We remember the tragedy of sin entering God's perfect world. We remember the precious promise God made to send a rescuer, a savior, to save us from sin. We remember the centuries and centuries of waiting for the promised rescuer and how it showed us our desperate need for him. We remember that God kept his promise that he sent Jesus to rescue us. He was born a humble baby, fully God and fully man. He, he lived a perfect life. He died an undeserved death to take the punishment for our sins and he defeated death in his resurrection. We remember that Jesus promised that he would return to make all things new. And in remembering Jesus, we grieve and we celebrate with hope. You can do both. See, the deepest and the truest meaning of Christmas isn't jingle bells. And figgy pudding. I mean, those, those are wonderful and those are fun traditions, but they come so late and really you could take them out of Christmas and you wouldn't miss a thing. Especially if you've had figgy pudding. 
They, they just aren't central to Christmas. Jesus is. The message of Christmas, writes Albert Muller, is nothing less than the death of death in the death and resurrection of Jesus. That's good news. That's Christmas. That's why Jesus was born. You know, I, I remember how, I mean, really surprised and also how really excited I was when I read J.K. Rowling's account of uh, Harry Potter and Hermione Granger's visit to Godric, I think that's into Godric's Hollow on Christmas Eve. The two of them were standing at the grave of Harry's parents, James and Lily Potter. A Bible verse is inscribed on the tombstone. It says, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. And that, that juxtaposition in this really unlikely place, a Harry Potter book, this juxtaposition of Christmas and 1 Corinthians 15, 26 was certainly no accident. J.K. Rowling was reminding us, reminding all of her readers that Christmas marks the beginning of the death of sin and death through the coming of Jesus Christ. And, that, and that's something to celebrate, but, but even so, people grieve at Christmas time. If you're grieving this Christmas time, you know, sometimes people feel guilty about, about grieving at Christmas. You know, does that mean I don't have faith? Let me be really clear. The fact that you grieve doesn't mean that you lack faith. It means that you have deeply loved. Because people who grieve have loved deeply. It, it means that, that we have deeply loved. It means that life will be different. It, it will be different until the day of our joyous reunion when in the words of God that were given to the Apostle John in the book of Revelation, there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old things have passed away. Grief is woven throughout the biblical story of Christmas. And I believe that's because the birth of Jesus is meant to be seen, I want to say it again, is meant to be seen as a gift that's given especially for those who grieve. In his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus made a great promise. He said, blessed, how happy are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. While we may grieve at Christmas time, the birth of Jesus Christ can be a great comfort and a great consolation to those who know why he was born. It changes everything. 
So in the words of the bidding prayer that we will hear in a few weeks as we celebrate the festival of nine lessons and carols, let us remember before God all those who rejoice with us but upon another shore and in a greater light. That multitude which no one can number, whose hope was in the Word made flesh, and with whom, in the Lord Jesus, we are forever one.